Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Tuesday. Welcome in here to Soccer Morning, worldsoccertalk.com. Happy to have you. Thank you for sliding your internet streaming capabilities in our direction as we have a big Tuesday edition of the program for you. Plenty to talk about today. We'll get into the news very, very shortly. Lined up for this program, Russ, Ross Dunbar, excuse me, Bundesliga expert, Fox Sports and DW Sports will join us. We'll preview the Bundesliga season. We'll talk about some of the biggest names moving around, both uh, into Germany and out of Germany. We'll talk uh, whatever. Aaron Johansson moving uh, to Werder Bremen, which seems to be a done deal. We'll get to that here very, very shortly. Obviously, Adro Vidal and Douglas Costa moving to Bayern Munich because the rich get richer. Well, that's what happens. Ho- hope your uh, your Tuesday has started very well. Mine has not. Mine has been pretty terrible for various reasons that I won't get into. But let's just say that attention to detail is a thing. Sometimes, uh, sometimes it goes wanting. Today is one of those days. Let's uh, jump right into the headlines. As I mentioned, Azad Alkmar, striker Aaron Johansson, U.S. international, moving to Werder Bremen, reported fee of around $5 million, 5 million euros, $5.5 million, something like that. Uh, obviously, he has uh, made a name with U.S. fans via his time with the U.S. men's national team, played in the Gold Cup this summer. Azad has reached an agreement in outline with Werder Bremen over the transfer of Aaron Johansson. The club has given the 24-year-old striker permission to come to a personal agreement with the Germans. Johansson will not be traveling Wednesday with Azed to Turkey. If Azed and Werder's uh, agreement works out completely and Johansson also reaches a personal agreement and passes the medical examination, the American International will sign a multi-year contract with Werder Bremen. That is from Azed Alkmar's uh, website. So that looks to be a very, very done deal. We can talk more uh, about what that means for him and that what that means for uh, the U.S. men's national team should he improve his game in Germany or the, can, the possibility being that he may find uh, playing time a little bit more difficult to come by. And we'll ask Ross Dunbar what his outlook is there. Zlatan Ibrahimovic has said he may have played his last game for Paris Saint-Germain. The Swedish striker admitted, I love when the reports are that he admitted, he said it could be that this was my last game for PSG after uh, PSG won the French Super Cup over Lyon 2-0. Next week I will take a decision over my future. He's got a one he's got one year left on his contract with PSG. There have been rumors that perhaps a return to AC Milan is in the works and Galatasaray is reportedly interested as well and uh, CEO Adriano Galliani of Milan said he's a PSG player. I don't know anything else uh, pushing that down the line. Obviously under contract shouldn't really be talking about Zlatan, uh, but it's very possible that uh, Ibrahimovic will move now he did sort of hint at a very surprise move for his next uh his next destination. We were, we don't know exactly what that is. He did have, have that interesting interview with Sports Illustrated when he was in the United States with PSG um just talking about general things but but again sort of outlined that his next move could be a big surprise. Uh Seattle Sounders captain Brad Evans is in the Seattle Times today in an article by Matt Pence outlining that the CBA recently signed by the Players Union and MLS, does not exactly work to the players' benefit. Here's a, a, a choice quote. When we all look back at this CBA, it wasn't what we wanted. I think we handcuffed ourselves into a situation. I think Don Garber can look back and say he got the fair end of the deal. Those guys obviously got the better end of the deal. But come four and a half more years, we're going to have to put, put our foot down. We found out, I think, through enough social media, that all of the fans were behind us even after the fact. A lot of them said, you guys got screwed. Why didn't you stop? There's a lot to think about. We have to get this group unified enough. But clearly, some grousing as a part of this is over uh, the release of Jaime Pinedo by the LA Galaxy. Um, Brad Evans addressing that, sort of talking about what players uh, earn and versus what players uh, what players earn that are Americans versus what players earn that are coming from Europe and South America. He said, it's easy for Central American or a European player to do that. For Americans, it's almost impossible. There's nowhere else for us to go. We're handcuffed into this situation. We have to be strong. We have to be unified. When it comes to our, when it comes our turn to say, yeah, we're performing just as good or above what a $1 million, $2 million designated player is making, 
we've got to put our foot down and say, all right, I deserve this. Uh, it should be interesting to watch how the players address this CBA moving forward. Again, they got the door cracked open on free agency, but really didn't make many other gains anywhere else. Manchester United winger Ashley Young has agreed to a new three-year deal with the club. He's 30 years old. He signed from Aston Villa in 2011. There was a possibility of Young moving on. He had interest elsewhere, but he always wanted to stay at United, and he has signed a new deal. Russian Premier League football club Anji, famous for being the team that spent a lot of money a couple years back, uh, has called for an end to quote-unquote bigotry in domestic football after its fans were abused by CSKA Moscow supporters. Now, this isn't racism in the way that's been coming out of Russia recently uh, with abuse towards black players. This is abuse towards uh, the ethnic group of people who support Anji and are from the Caucasus Mountains. Uh, Anji fans typically hail from ethnic minority groups in the Caucasus. Football authorities are investigating. The CSKA fans' chants included insults directed at our clubs and fans, expressions with provoke hostility on the basis of ethnicity. Unpunished aggression from fans will inevitably lead to a rise in the number of such incidents. This is a statement by Sergei Korbalev, um, the general director of Anji. There were apparently some banners, uh, some some gay slurs, quite the uh, scene uh, at this match. And again, it sort of crystallizes the problem that Russia has with uh, abuse of, of any kind. But they don't seem to want to address racial abuse but ethnic abuse is on the table. It's a very interesting dynamic and uh, kind of makes them look like a bunch of hypocrites. UEFA has rejected Fenerbahce's protest over Shakhtar Donetsk, feeling a player who tested positive for a banned substance at Copa America. Brazilian midfielder Fred tested positive for a banned diuretic at Copa America, a substance that can be used to mask other uh, performance-enhancing drugs. And uh, UEFA has said that the ban was not in place when the first leg of Fenerbahce and Shakhtar Donetsk's Champions League match, um, qualifying match, or qualifying tie, excuse me, happened, and therefore uh, there is no um, reason to uphold the protest. Fred will not play probably on Wednesday because of the ban. So there's that. All right, let's step aside. We'll reset. We'll talk some Germany coming back with Ross Dunbar from Fox Sports and DW Sports. Soccer morning on a Tuesday. Thank you very much for listening. WorldSoccerTalk.com. We'll be right back. In the crowd, you're talking too loud. So far this season, the New York Red Bulls have owned New York City FC, winning both times the two teams have played one at Red Bull Arena, one at Yankee Stadium. Now it's time for a third go round as the Red Bulls play host to New York City this Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern. Soccer Morning listeners, I'd like to invite you to hear my thoughts and analysis live during the game at Rabble.tv. With Rabble, the concept is simple. All you have to do is tune into the broadcast on TV, press the mute button, and then head over to Rabble.tv to listen to the broadcast on your desktop, through your iOS app, and now through your mobile browser. You can join in, too, by posting your questions and observations in the comment section. If you have an iPhone, install the Rabble TV app and add a comment to the broadcast message board, then listen live via the app. Or why don't you create your own broadcast, call one of your team's games. It's easy. Sign up for free and try it out. Will it be a clean sweep for the Red Bulls in the Hudson River Derby? Or can NYCFC make a difference with Pirlo in midfield? Find out this Sunday with me on Rabble.tv. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. A little hard-driving guitar for you on a Tuesday. Happy to be back on Soccer Morning here with Ross Dunbar from Fox Sports, DW Sports, covering uh, the Bundesliga and doing a fine job of it. Ross, it's good to have you back. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. Uh, let's talk some Bundesliga. Let's talk uh, the new season. Uh, clearly, you know, I, I actually I just uh, scanned a piece over at the New York Times today, one of those um, sort of introductory uh, soccer 101, football 101 pieces for, for people who have uh, maybe just started paying attention to the European game. And it said, uh, basically, the, the scope of the piece was 
all of the favorites are going to win the titles this year. Meaning, uh, we're going to get a Real Madrid or Barcelona winner. We're going to get, uh, you know, a PSG winner in France. We're probably going to get Juventus winning in Italy. And guess what? Bayern Munich's probably going to win in Germany. Is there any reason to think that may not be the case? Uh, no, and I think if you were to ask the players and the managers of it, all these other clubs as well, I think they would probably say the same thing. Um, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, the way that modern football works is that the team who generally spends the most money tends to win everything. Um, obviously, if they do slip up, they've got some interesting teams behind them, both probably Leverkusen, Dortmund, Schalke. Um, and I remember speaking to one of the sporting directors before, and he said, basically, they go into the season not expecting to win anything, but if Bayern do slip up, then there's a few clubs who, who could certainly you know, cause a threat towards the end of the season. Now, as you said, the, the team that spends the most money, Bayern spends the most money. Um, you know, They went through a couple of years stretch there where, where Dortmund was making a lot of noise and winning a title and all that, uh, but in the end, Bayern Munich has the most resources. Now, for this particular summer and, and leading into this particular season, uh, we know about Otero Vidal. We know about Douglas Costa. Have they? How much have they strengthened as they sort of said goodbye to at least one iconic player and 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 you know maybe shift some pieces around? Yeah, it was two interesting signings. I mean, the Douglas Costa one in particular came out of the blue. I don't think many people would have put him high on their transfer radar this season. I mean, um, Shakhtar Donetsk is not really the most accessible club to watch these days and. Um, yeah, I think it was interesting given that he's coming into a team that obviously we know they play a lot of possession football. There are probably other areas of the team that need strengthened. I think right back was one area that was noted as being a position to strengthen. I don't think Douglas Costa was um, seen as being the guy who could improve. On Saturday, obviously, he made his debut and I thought he was really impressive. Um, he's really direct and really quick. I mean, if you thought Iron Robin was quick dribbling with the ball, then you should see this guy in full flight. Um, I don't think the Wolfsburg uh, right back will forget that for a long time. Um, with Arturo Vidal, again, that's another interesting one because I'm not sure how much they need him. Um, you know, they've got some midfielders already there. Sebastian Rode, for example, who came in from Eintracht Frankfurt last year. And he's a similar sort of player, you know, but I think with Vidal, I kind of get the impression that they had to spend big on somebody. To you know, have a statement of intent. Mm-hmm. We're going to go for the Champions League this year. Um, and yeah, Vidal obviously was the target. I mean, based on what I saw in the Champions League final, I'm not really too sure that was the sort of target they should have been going for if they wanted to go one step further this year. Uh, yes, I mean, it, look, it, whether or not Juventus was in that final, it was clearly a step up for Arturo Vidal to go yeah. from. Juventus to uh, to Bayern Munich, uh, whether or not it works, we'll, we'll certainly see. Now, uh, those are the, the two bigger ones for Bayern Munich, or the two most notable in terms of money. Uh, I, they also are the type of club that scoop up young players, specifically within Germany, from some of the smaller teams in the Bundesliga and beyond. Are there any notable names there? Not, maybe not players that are ready to step in and contribute uh, week in and week out for Pep Guardiola, but certainly players all that we should be watching as they develop within the, the Bayern Munich system. Um, yeah, Pierre Hoiberg has come back from a loan spell in Augsburg. He's a very talented midfielder. He's, um, he's a bit more like a box-to-box midfielder. I don't think he's got a specific role yet, which probably uh, actually hinders him because, uh, yeah, he's seen as a mobile option. He played right wing back in the German Cup final against Dortmund the year before last. Um, there's also, there's also uh, Joshua Kimmich, a 21-year-old midfielder, I think, who they signed from Stuttgart. Who, where he didn't, where he didn't actually play. He played on loan at Red Bull Leipzig, and Stuttgart decided to cash in on him, which I think probably sums up them as a club, to be fair. And uh, you know they got like seven or eight million euros for him. I don't expect him to go into the team at the moment. I mean, he's very slight for his age. I mean, he, he played in the um, the under twenty one European Championships and was quite impressive. He's um, quite a dynamic midfielder. Likes to break up the play. Um, probably a holding midfielder more than an attacking midfielder. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, those are the two kind of main younger players who probably will, yeah, be in and out of the squad here and there. But I, I can't see anybody else coming in and, and, and making an impact. All right, so we, we we established that it's likely going to be Bayern Munich's year to win another title. Uh, look, they didn't win the Super Cup. Wolfsburg actually 
pipped him on penalties. Nicholas Bettner is out there saying that Wolfsburg's got a chance to to catch Bayern Munich. I, look, this is the kind of things that come before a season. Ross, it's usually bluster. It's of course, you know, Bettner's a confident kind of guy in a, in his weird way. Um, but but if there was a, a reason to think that a team like Wolfsburg could do it or Bayer Leverkusen or whoever, what would it take? And and, and have those teams strengthen enough? to at least, you know, maintain their position 2-3-4? Um, I, would, I would certainly say that Leverkusen have the potential to, to do quite well this year. I mean, you asked, obviously, you know, what would they need to do? I mean, I think, I think they would just need to be very consistent against the teams outside of the top six. I mean, if you look at Bayern's record last year uh, winning the championship, they had a very poor run of results against the teams in the top five or six spots. I mean, they, they tended to struggle against better teams. But when they played everyone else, they yeah they barely dropped any points at all. So I mean, if you're a Bayer Leverkusen, for example, you've got a lot of potential and a lot of good, hungry young players. Then you you really need to be switched on in these games where you're playing um, quote unquote smaller clubs, and especially when you have the Champions League to manage as well. I think that's a bit of a problem um, because when Borussia Dortmund obviously won the league under Jurgen Klopp. They didn't have that, you know. They didn't have the Champions League to distract them. They essentially had a group of young players who could come out and go gung ho. Yeah. And um, I just don't think that's going to happen this year with teams having to manage Champions League and uh, Bundesliga matches. Uh, you know, you you bring up Dortmund here, and and there's an opportunity for us to talk about a club that has gone through a, a significant transition heading into the season. Ross uh, with Jurgen Klopp deciding to to leave. Um, you know, they took a step back. They had a lot of injuries. It, it wasn't easy. Uh, I don't know how much of that played into Klopp's decision, but now what's next for Dortmund? Because what they've proven is that it's very difficult to sort of establish yourself on Bayern Munich's level because of the resources available to uh, to Bayern. Is, is Dortmund going to settle into a position where, you know, they may contend for Champions League occasionally, but they're not always going to be up there fighting for titles? I think there's an acceptance that if you're Borussia Dortmund and you don't have the same amount of resources as Bayern Munich, uh, Wolfsburg, or even Bayer Leverkusen, the two clubs who are owned by um, companies, Volkswagen and Bayer, then you, you probably would you would probably just um, be happy to finish third, and that means you'd got automatic Champions League football, you could have a go in the German Cup. I think that, is, that, that would have been good enough for Jurgen Klopp in the last two years. Um, and I think probably what hindered Dortmund the most was that even when they got to the top, they didn't really evolve. And you know, you know that any top football club, any top business, if you want to be at the top, you have to get there, and then you have to evolve to keep up with the the competition. Mm-hmm. And Dortmund just didn't do that. And um, I think they, this season will be very interesting because they they're not they're not having a massive player overhaul under Thomas Tuchel. He's a very methodical coach who will try and get the most out of what they have there. Um, it's essentially trying to find a, a system and a philosophy that suits the kind of players that they have. I mean, there's still immense quality there. I mean, Henrik Mkhitaryan, for example, is a player who I think has underperformed since coming from Czechoslovakia. Donetsk. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got Shinji Kagawa, who came from Manchester United. He's not really hit the ground running yet. Kevin Campbell came in from Salzburg. I think if Tuchel can get these players playing in a cohesive system, then Dortmund could quite comfortably finish in the top three this year. Uh, the you, you mentioned Shinji Kagawa, who's a fascinating figure to me because of his move to Manchester United. It, it never worked there. I'm not sure it was entirely his fault, but there may have been, uh, I don't know, there may have been some adjustment issues. Sometimes it just doesn't work out culturally, language barriers, all the, all, everything else. But then it was, let's go back to Germany, let's go back to Dortmund and, and try to catch that lightning uh, in a bottle again. And you, as you said, it hasn't worked out. Is that, it was, was Kagawa ruined by, by England? Is, is there a chance of that? Uh, yeah, I think, I think probably there was a bit of both. I mean, I don't recall any Japanese players really succeeding in England. I mean, you, you, uh, there's some interesting stories about Kagawa when he played in Germany that, you know, obviously coming from a, a culture of respect, respecting your elders, respecting the hierarchy, you know, he would never really look Jurgen Klopp in the eye. I mean, this is one of the very interesting things. He was so shy. And I think going to a team like Man United, it, living in Manchester, living in the EPL bubble, you almost have to be a little bit arrogant and self-confident. And I'm maybe not sure that was his style. Uh, coming to Dortmund, coming back to Dortmund, obviously, with a, you know, a club that, that completely adores him, then I think it'll be interesting to see how this season pans out. 
obviously I think what went wrong for him there was that Sir Alex Ferguson uh, liked to play him on the left wing, which I'm not really sure that was his favourite position either, but um, I'm sure it'll be a good, a good experience for him. But uh, like you said, those, those were the three players who I think Kigawa included who could really help Dortmund this season. Uh, let's uh, let's talk about Manchester United just a bit here in the context of Bastian Schweinsteiger, who made a move to um, the Red Devils this uh, this summer, and now Pep Guardiola is in the press saying that Schweinsteiger hasn't been fit for about three years. Uh, first of all, why do if you're Guardiola, why do this? Um, well, it's interesting because it comes in a week where Guardiola's um, uh, meetings with the media have been a little bit hostile. I mean, I watched the Guardiola press conference this weekend. He was a little bit more confrontational than normal. I mean, I thought, thought that was very interesting, and he was kept ask, he kept asking about his future, and and he didn't really take that very well. And there was talk of a a press meeting with him, and um, you know, one newspaper said that he was quite aggressive towards them. So I'm not sure whether this is just a follow from that as well. Maybe 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 he's just having a bad week. Um, but <laughs> I find it like I say, I find it quite astonishing that you know he would come out and say these kind of things now. Yet. You know, even though he wasn't fit last year, Schweinsteiger still played uh, for Guardiola last year. You know. So what? Okay, so let's let's talk about Pep quickly. Uh, we've already sort of outlined Bayern Munich. We know that the juggernaut, but Guardiola has had this. I mean, since his move from Barcelona, it's. I've been, you know, I've I've heard stories that he doesn't. You know, it's, it's Bayern Munich, so there's always politics. There's always uh, immense pressure from the press and. and not everybody doesn't get along all of the time, and that's probably probably not the point. It's probably what helps Bayern Munich stay on top on, on, in some ways. But he's always got this sense that he's he's a he's a year away from leaving. Um, does that cause any problems? I mean, is there when do you think he actually will leave, and and how much does that impact what Bayern Munich can do with long term vision versus sort of short term? Let's just spend a bunch of money and win another title. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I, I remember writing after the Champions League final last year that I think, you know, from a from a, a management point of view, I think Bayern Munich have to kind of step away from the sideshow of Guardiola and say, right, you know, what can we do long term to actually lay the foundations after Schweinsteiger, after Philip Lahm, after all these guys are getting past their peak. Arjen Robin is in his thirties as well. I think there's, there's a bit of a sideshow with Guardiola and, uh, you know, there's a huge obsession with winning the Champions League. I mean, you know, he's won two championships, he's won a German Cup, uh, he's got to the semi-finals of both uh, European Cups since he got here and people still think he's a failure, you know, I, I, I kind of don't really understand that. It's, the, the, the margins are so fine that, you know, I think I think if you go into a, a debate with that kind of mindset, well, you know, he lost the semi-finals, so he's a complete failure. Then I, I don't really understand what you're expecting of him. Um, yeah, I, I, to be honest, I, I kind of feel that he'll leave at the end of this contract. I kind of thought that before as well. Um, I look at the Manchester City links, and um, obviously with the Berikstan, the sporting director who's there, former Barcelona. Mm. Soriano was the, was the chief executive there as well, who was Barcelona. I just kind of get the impression that that something that will happen eventually. It's almost like Jurgen Klopp in Liverpool. You you hear about it so many times, even 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 though it's just even though it's just rumours that you, you kinda think that it, it basically is true, you know. Let, let me come back to uh, to the to the table and to the challengers for um, well, not for the title necessarily, but certainly for the Champions League spots, for the Europa League spots, top half performances. Last year Gladbach finished third place, Ross. Um, it, first of all, how much of a surprise was it to see them finish in third and can they do that again? Uh, yeah, it was a surprise. Um, I mean, the one thing that helped them was that they had a squad of players that could really deal with so many different situations. They had um, so much depth, so much versatility, and Lucien Favre is an outstanding coach. I mean, I think a lot of people would, would probably put his name forward as a Pep Guardiola replacement from within Germany. Uh, this year, I think they might struggle a little bit. I think Champions League football will be a massive burden to them. Uh, not just um, you know the number of games, but the intensity, the expectations, the pressure on on, on the players. I kind of get the feeling that they might drop out of the Champions League altogether this year. They've not made any massive signings. They brought Josep uh, Drimic in from from Bayer Leverkusen, who was a second uh, a second option for them last year. So they've not really strengthened a great deal. They've lost Christoph Kramer, of course, World Cup winner. Um, so I would probably tip them to be finishing the two Europa League positions next year. All right, now we come to the completely selfish American portion of the of the chat, Ross, and I'm going to just talk about 
uh, Americans in Germany, one who's moving to Germany. I'll start with, I'll stay with Gladbach and just ask about Fabian Johnson and, and his um, his importance to that team, his position, and, and really what, what the ceiling is for him moving forward. At this point, do you imagine that he remains sort of just a crucial piece of, of Gladbach's team, or is there is there a future where he moves on? I, mean, I, think, I, think he's, I think he's a very important part of the of the squad. I mean, I mentioned the versatility last season at Gladbach, where they had a group of strikers and a group of forwards, probably about seven or eight of them, who could deal with different situations. I mean, I remember one game against Bayern Munich where they won at the Allianz Arena. They brought in Andre Hahn from the cold, and he played up front and had an outstanding game. It's just that kind of versatility that, that, that was really important for them last year. And Fabian Johnson um, is exactly that, I think. Um, he's really kind of honed his attacking game since going there. Obviously, he played a lot of the time at left back at Hoffenheim, but now at uh, Gladbach, he's more of a left winger and very good on the counter attack. So, automatically, his speed is really important in Germany because those kind of counter attacks are basically what the league is about these days. And uh, I think, I think going into the Champions League, he could pro- probably play a big part for them, especially away from home. Uh, let's uh, let's turn to the player who's uh, rumored to be moving. Actually, I think this is almost done, uh, as per the announcement on Azed Alkmaar's website. Aaron Johansson to Werder Bremen for something like five and a half million euros. Uh, Ross, uh, we know as uh, U.S. Uh, men's national team fans know what kind of player he is. We also know the reputation of the Eredivisie and how it sort of creates um, it creates forwards who then go on to better leagues and sometimes struggle. We can't all be Luis Suarez. So what do you expect for Aaron Johansson at Werder Bremen? How likely is regular playing time for him, and, and how difficult will he find it to score goals at the same level? Um, I, I think Bremen is probably a, a good a good option for him because there's not a massive amount of pressure at that club. I think if Werder Bremen finish in the top half this season or finish kind of 9th, 10th, 11th, I think the club will be very happy with that. So... That's, that's, that's one interesting part of it. The second thing is that the coach there, Victor Skripnik, um, it plays a very attacking style of play. It's, it's a 4-4-2 diamond. They play with two strikers. They play very high up the pitch. And that's why last season, you know, players like Franco De Santo were able to get into double figures because they had so many, they had so many uh, chances inside the penalty box. And I think someone like Aaron Johansson playing um, as one of those two strikers, I think you've got a lot of joy. Um, it's an interesting move because Bremen um, not really a, a club that spends a lot of money. They've got financial problems. They've lost uh, Franco De Santo to Schalke this summer, which was quite a surprising move. They also lost David Selke, the young striker who went down to the second division with uh, Red Bull Leipzig. So um, they, they, they really needed to add a bit of quality there. I mean, I don't know a lot about Johansson's game, but to have a 1-2 record at Isar Alkmaar in the Eredivisie, I think, is a perfect a perfect grounding for a player going into a kind of sort of mid-table Bundesliga club. Yeah, he he likes to shoot. He's uh, he's I don't I wouldn't call him the fastest player around, but he can uh, he can certainly beat a player off the dribble, and he's uh, he's got some craftiness to him. We'll see how he does in Germany. Certainly, American fans will hope he plays regularly uh, because uh, right now the striker situation for the U.S. national team is not. Uh, not all that great. Um, all right, let's talk about a couple of other players. We've touched on Johnson. We've touched on on Aaron Johansson moving uh, to Germany. Uh, let's let's talk about John Brooks, the uh, the center back. He comes off of the Gold Cup performance with the United States. I, I would call it shaky at best, Ross. I, I don't. I think he's still uh, he's still not quite at the international speed in terms of of thought. Now I know Germany. You know, it's not a league that plays slowly. But for whatever reason, uh, maybe the intensity, maybe the, the physicality of the international game is a little higher than he's used to. What's his ceiling? I, I, look, he, he seems to be a fixture at, at Hertha Berlin at this point. Well, what exactly do you see out of him in 2015-16? Um, I, I, when, he, when he first came into the team at Hertha, I was really impressed. I mean, I think he's got all the kind of raw attributes to be a very, very good centre-half Um I, I like his physique. I like I like um, the fact that he's got a little bit of speed about him as well. Um, I, I just wonder that maybe Hertha is a club that um, well, how, how do I put this? That that really kind of aspires to just surviving. Mm-hmm. They are essentially a club right now who, if you gave them 14th or 15th in the league, they'd probably take it because it would guarantee their Bundesliga status for another season. And I'm not really sure that's an environment that really kind of facilitates um, development and and uh, getting into a really good momentum early in his career. So I wonder whether maybe he would think about a move um, to another German club. I wonder if a German club could afford it. But, if you, you know, I think 
of all the kind of centre halves at the lower clubs, he's probably the best one, I think. And um, you know, if he's playing 30, 34 games in the Bundesliga, I think I think that'll be great for his development. Sure. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. There's certainly a sense though that he's a little soft um, in 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 uh, in man marking, and he's a little soft in the air. Is there? I mean, I don't know that you have a scouting report on on him in front of you, or that there's a real buzz about John Brooks in Germany necessarily. But have you heard of anything in those in those areas? I mean, I can specifically remember a couple of times this summer where he was beaten in the air by smaller players and really shouldn't have been. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, to be honest, I, 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 it's not something that I've picked up on. Um, I mean, the one thing that kind of, like I said, stood out for me in the sort of early time playing in the Bundesliga was actually his physique. Maybe, yeah, maybe he's just he's just not improved that part of his game. I mean, uh, one thing about the Bundesliga, okay, yeah, you do see a lot of long balls, but it tends not to be kind of aerial situations. It tends to be more direct balls, more kind of counterattacks, more uh, quick attacking midfielders that he's up against. So maybe that's just a part of his game that maybe isn't tested as much here in Germany. Uh, maybe if he played in the Premier League in England, that would be something that you know he could really work on. Um, let's uh, let's talk about a youngster uh, who's not in the national team right now and, and really has no business in the national team as he figures out the next stage in his career, and that's Julian Green. Now, he went on loan. He's a Bayern Munich player. He went on loan to Hamburg last year. It was a disaster. Uh, I don't think there's any other way to say it. And the reports are now, Ross, that he's going to stay with Bayern Munich and play with the U23s this season, or at least for the time being. That seems like a mistake to me. Now, he's 20 years old, so it's not completely um, out, of, out, out of kilter, but it doesn't seem to be the next step for him. Yeah, I would agree with that. I remember reading that article um, in one of the magazines here that he wanted to stay uh, in the under-23 set-up at Bayern Munich rather than going out and loan and I wonder whether that's just a case of staying in his comfort zone rather than actually wanting to go out and test test himself. Um, obviously, he's a young player with potential. You know, not playing that much for one season can have a disastrous effect on a young player's career at that age, confidence-wise, you know, ability, you know, his physical condition. Um, but maybe if he had gone to maybe a second division club in Germany and, and tried to build up his confidence that way, I mean, okay, the level is a bit less, but if you can walk away with, you know, 10 goals and 15 assists, in, in the second division, that could do wonders for his career, you know, rather than actually sitting in the, the amateur team where, to be honest, the quality is not great because Bayern Munich aren't in the top three uh, divisions. Some of the some of the reserve teams in Germany play in the third tier at the moment. Mainz, Gladbach, Bremen, and a few others, but Bayern aren't one of them. So uh, I would probably have a lot of reservations to the sort of test that he's going to get at Bayern Munich in that squad. Yeah, certainly. And, and you know, I, I, there is a sense, I don't know that this affected him, but there's a sense that the sort of the hype that was um, uh, the swirled around him when Jurgen Klinsmann convinced him to play for the United States, I mean, convinced him, recruited him, however you wanted to view that. I mean, I don't know that, that Julian Green imagined a future with Germ- the German national team or not. He, 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 his father is American. I'm sure he feels very American. But it, there's a belief that some of the hype there and certainly some of the excitement from the fans may have fed, fed his ego a little too much. Um, I don't know that that's, again, something that you have a handle on, but is there, is there any sense at all that, that that's the kind of thing that can, that can hurt a player within Germany? How, how do you go about maintaining sort of a level-headedness for these youngsters? Mm, yes, it's, it's a good point. I mean, I think, I think when a player um, certainly is given a lot of hype and plays for Borussia Dortmund or Schalke or Gladbach, clubs who come from a very modest part of Germany in the, in the Ruhrgebiet, there tends to be a, a really big effort to try and, um, you know, get that level headedness in young players. I mean, the one example that I can think of is last year at Schalke, uh, Leroy Sané came into the team at 19 years old. He played against Real Madrid in the Champions League, but by the end of the season, he was playing in the under-19 squad and he was he was helping them win the championship. I think of the starting eleven that played against Hoffenheim in the in the under-19 playoffs here in Germany, uh, there were two players in that Schalke team who played against Real Madrid, which I think says a lot for that kind of mindset that even though the player has broken into the first team and is playing you know, Champions League football against Cristiano Ronaldo and all these players, there's still a lot of work to be done. And I think that probably you know, shows you why Schalke has the best academy probably in Germany. I think if you're Julian Green... Um, you know, the hype is something you just have to deal with. I mean, in any sport nowadays, if you're a young 
athlete or a young player or a young sportsman dealing with that hype is just a massive part of it and obviously maybe the people around him have let him down I don't know maybe going to Hamburg maybe he felt a little bit isolated up there because you know for almost a year he was essentially you know non-existent on the park off the park so yeah I mean I think I think, like you say you know that could have a big impact on his career. Uh, last but well last and possibly least at least from a, a U.S. national team perspective Timothy Chandler at Eintracht Frankfurt um, this is a player who seems to have two very different, uh, I don't know, uh, different playing abilities, styles, uh, levels. When he's with the U.S. men's national team, you'll find very few fans who think he plays well at all. In fact, through the Gold Cup period, he may have been the U- the worst player on the on the field for the United States, regularly speaking. Um, I don't know. I don't want to speak to Jurgen Klinsmann's loyalty to him as a player and whatever those reasons might be. But at at, at Eintracht. You know how is Timothy Chandler and how has he been? And, and you know they finished ninth last year. That's not that's not uh, that's not a bad uh, place to be. Yeah, uh, I mean I don't think the I don't think the reputation of him is too high in Germany. I think he's a bit of an average uh, kind of fullback. Um, I read this year that uh, Frankfurt are playing one of their more experienced midfielders at right back. So I don't know if that maybe spells the end for him, or I don't know if that means that the new coach doesn't fancy him. I, I'm not really too sure about that. Um, I mean, I thought he was quite lucky when he left uh, Nuremberg to get a move like that to Frankfurt, a club that you know finished fourth uh, only two or three seasons ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he, he's, a, he's a promising player in terms of his. You know, he's got a really natural kind of athletic ability, but you know, I just think in defensively. He lets himself down a lot. His positioning is quite poor. I think he's, he ball watches a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think I think there maybe is room for some development there, but um, I, I wouldn't hold out. Of it. I wouldn't hold out of him having a great season. To be honest. Yeah. There you go. Ross Dunbar covers the Bundesliga at Fox Sports. DW Sports. Go find him on Twitter. Ross, what's the Twitter handle? My Twitter handle is Ross Dunbar ninety three. There you go, uh, Ross. Appreciate the time. Thank you very much. Looking forward to the Bundesliga season, which now we can see. <laughs> much more easily in the United States, thanks to Fox Sports. Ross, thank you very much. Cheers, Jason. Thank uh, you. There goes Ross uh, Dunbar's talk. To you on the phone lines, we'll open those up. By the way, trade just gone down. Jack McInerney to the Columbus crew. We can talk about that. Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. Be right back. So far this season, the New York Red Bulls have owned New York City FC, winning both times the two teams have played. One at Red Bull Arena, one at Yankee Stadium. Now it's time for a third go-round as the Red Bulls play host to New York City this Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern. Soccer Morning listeners, I'd like to invite you to hear my thoughts and analysis live during the game at Rabble.tv. With Rabble, the concept is simple. All you have to do is tune into the broadcast on TV, press the mute button, and then head over to Rabble.tv to listen to the broadcast on your desktop, through your iOS app, and now through your mobile browser. You can join in, too, by posting your questions and observations in the comment section. And if you have an iPhone, install the Rabble TV app and add a comment to the broadcast message board, then listen live via the app. Or why don't you create your own broadcast, call one of your team's games. It's easy. Sign up for free and try it out. Will it be a clean sweep for the Red Bulls in the Hudson River Derby? Or can NYCFC make a difference with Pirlo in midfield? Find out this Sunday with me on Rabble.tv. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we are back on Soccer Morning on a Tuesday. Get the phone lines open here. Go ahead and do that technology. 646-832-3909 is the phone number. Breaking news out of MLS. Jack McInerney traded to Columbus Crew SC. No surprise there. The Montreal Impact needed some cap relief after signing Didier Drogba. There wasn't really a dedicated role for Jack McInerney, 22 years old at this point, needed a, a place to play, and so he shifts over to Crew SC. Now, what's interesting about this, and I don't know if I saved the tweet, I believe it was Adam Jardy from the Columbus Dispatch. Uh, yep, there it is right here. At $334,166.67 in guaranteed compensation, Jack McInerney is the third highest paid Crew SC player. 
and we're all saying he's quote unquote depth. That's a, yeah. I mean that's that's a sort of interesting development here. A player who is uh, surplus to needs in Montreal, making over three hundred k because of his GA status, um, the goals he scored. I mean, th- this is what's fascinating about Jack McInerney is he scores goals wherever he goes, but it, he eventually becomes a player that is no longer wanted, needed, etc., and is shifted along. I mean, this is his third MLS team at the age of 22. He doesn't turn 20, well, he turns 23 tomorrow, as a matter of fact. So, happy birthday, Jack McInerney. Also, he's gone from the Union to the Impact and now to Crew SC. He scored 36 goals before the age of 23. That's that's pretty impressive. I mean, I'm not sure how many guys had that many goals before that that age, but it can't be very many in MLS history. I don't know what's next for him. He may be the type of player who sees his contract out and then takes a shot abroad, whether it's Scandinavia, maybe he can catch on somewhere uh, at a lower division level. I mean, I think still think he's got a, a boatload of talent. And at one time we were talking him up for the U.S. men's national team. He's He's a poacher. He's a, a, a guy with good movement off the ball. He seems to be in the right place at the right time. More often than not, he can create a shot. He's got some pretty stellar goals in his, uh, on his resume from his MLS history. But again, here he is being shifted uh, to clear space for Montreal as they move into their future with Didier Drogba, a player 14 years older than Jack McInerney. I'm not saying that's not, not a reason to do it, uh, but there you go. 646-832-3909 is your phone number. There's got to be something on your mind. This Aaron Johansson move should be of interest to U.S. men's national team fans at the very least. Uh, a young player who is, you know, this is the timing. This is when this move comes in a, in a player's career. question now is whether or not Aaron Johansson uh, will get the, the sort of playing time we want to see him get at Werder Bremen. Uh, now at 24 years old, if he become, can take that next step, improve his game enough to where he becomes a fixture in the U.S. men's national team, especially since we just talked about it yesterday, there's a chance Josie Altidore, not that he's done. At 25, Josie's not somebody you're going to write off. But if the national team, for the time being, is kind of changing a di- taking a different approach, and Josie is no longer the A number one fixture at the top of the formation, it's an opportunity for Aaron Johansson to step into the void here. It's an opportunity for a player of sort of a different a different stripe, a different type of player to make his to stake his claim and make his name within the national team, in the international setup. And it may come on October 9th because, again, my gut tells me Josie Outdoor won't be starting in that match. He may not be on the 23-man roster for that match. Uh, the way things are going, the way winds are blowing with Jurgen Klinsmann. 646-832-3909. We touched on Zlatan Ibrahimovic talking about his potential move from PSG this morning. How awesome would it be if his surprise that he was teasing is just to move to MLS now? I'm not sure there's a team out there that could pay him. Maybe Seattle. Could Seattle get Zlatan? I mean, they probably don't. Well, they do need, they need everything they can get right now. They need every, help, every bit of help they can get. But Zlatan Ibrahimovic is 33 years old. 30, yeah, 33 years old. Maybe it's time for him to, go ahead and move to I don't. I mean, I think he's got interest elsewhere. Certainly he could go back to AC Milan. There are other opportunities for Zlatan Ibrahimovic. But if he's looking to surprise some people, you, could do, you can't do any better than surprising people with a move to MLS at the age of 33. Could go back to Malmo. He could go back to Sweden. That's that's a good call from Trevor Hayward. Go back to and do the do the you know go back home and 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 uh, play out your last couple of years back in your native country. I, he could absolutely do that. That would be a, that would be an amazing move. Uh, James on Twitter. It's a good move for Aaron Johansson. We'll see if he can continue to score in a better league. There's uh you know again it's a step up. It's it's what you want to see. Uh, you want you want to see from a player at this point in his career. Travis Clark on Twitter, our friend from Top Drawer Soccer, moving to a mid-table team in Germany from AZ is a move that Josie should have made instead of Sunderland. Can't argue with that. Certainly in retrospect, seeing the way things went with Josie Altidore in England. I mean, England is the lure. England is the 
the the the league so many players want to end up in and uh maybe you know I, I talk about the cultural things i mentioned it with shinji kagawa he adjusted better to germany than he did to england i'm not saying that across the board everybody's uh, everybody will do that but when you look at, at what josie decided to do versus what johansson decided to do from the same club maybe the allure of the culture of england and the language and everything else was too much for Dozy Outdoor, as opposed to going to Germany, potentially having to learn a new language, adjust to a different culture, as close as it might be to Dutch culture. It's clearly something very different. So I, I wonder how much of a, a, you know, when you look at Breck Shea, Breck Shea could have gone, not saying he had the offers, but I imagine Breck Shea could have found a way to get to, to Holland or found a way to get to a lower division or a second division team in Germany or a, a lower half team in Germany rather than the move he made to Stoke City. But the pull of Stoke being in England overwhelmed everything else. I mean, I, I, I wonder how much that... I mean, certainly, Breck Shea had some culture shock in England. There's no doubt about that. But it may have been worse in Germany, or he may have imagined it would be worse in Germany, particularly because of the language. And therefore, he was pulled to England. Aaron Johansson, being raised in Iceland, maybe doesn't have those same hang-ups that the American bread player does. I mean, I'm just, I'm just spitballing here. Let's talk to Alex in San Diego. What's up, Alex? 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 Hello? I can hear you talking. Alex? Yeah. Are you yeah. there? <laughs> what was that all about? No, I was talking to my brother. <laughs> All right. Well, we got a little <laughs> snippet of that conversation. What's on your mind today? No, I just want to talk about the USA Mexico game. Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. Alex, you, go ahead. Give me your thoughts. Yeah, I just want to say, uh, like, hopefully uh, the USA fans, we show up uh, at the Rose Bowl, and we don't like the Mexico fans at our numbers on home soil. Yeah. And I was there. I was there back in 2011, and it was 95, 95 thousand. Yeah. So yeah. hopefully we. I hope so all, too. All I hope so, yeah. Alex. And, and there's a there's a, first of all, let me just type this up a little bit. There is a campaign out there. There's a GoFundMe page uh, for a campaign to get uh, to get veterans to this game. Uh, let me. I gotta find the uh, the tweet. It's here somewhere. I'll I'll find it. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, a, I, I think it's ticks ticks t i x for troops. Go go search that on on GoFundMe if you want to help out there. If you can't go to the game, I mean that's a good way to help. I don't, I don't know what we're gonna get, Alex. I hope we get you know. I hope there's a strong showing. I mean, I know. Look, Mexico fans are passionate people. I respect the hell out of them for it. When the when the tickets go on sale and they have an app an, uh, an opportunity to go sale tree in this country, they jump on it. They don't wait. They don't waste time. They don't mess around. For whatever reason the, uh, the American fans do, or maybe they're just um, intimidated by the number of Mexico fans who show up every time. But that's got to change eventually. And, and I've had some people come at me because I said, shut up and buy the tickets. Shut up and go. And they're like, oh, no, come on. You know, you don't take your family to that game because uh, whatever. There, there may be some abuse or Mexico I mean, fans are, I've are been rude. There. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. I mean, I've been there and... and I've never seen like I never see any fans fighting or anything. As long as you okay. just, like you just keep to yourself. Yeah, I'm, yeah. Don't don't do antagonize. Look, you you can't account for somebody else's behavior, but don't antagonize anybody. First of all, so uh, this is what I'm going to recommend. Okay, if American fans go, don't go and start singing songs about Mexico walking through the concourse. Okay, just don't do it. And if you're in the parking lot and there's uh you know there's there's tailgating going on, you know don't be the guy talking about the sombrero. Okay, just don't be that guy. All right, just enjoy their, enjoy yourself out and go. And when you get into the stadium and you're around your, you know, the fans who are supporting the same team, maybe that's when you bust out the songs. But bust out songs that support your team rather than rather than, than say anything about Mexico. Now, because if there's going to be a good environment, that's the steps we have to take. Be the, and I'm not even saying like like I know some people say, well, what about the Mexico fans? Let them do whatever they do. I mean, I hope the Mexico fans are on their on their their best behavior too. But you can't account for them, so just don't make it worse. And and look. I, like I said, it's easy for me to say shut up and go, but I think people should shut up and go. <laughs> I think they should, Alex. Yeah, because we don't show up. You know, we don't represent the United States, and 
and everybody's going to say that, that we don't have a, that soccer's not growing and we don't have a large fan base, which we do. We just got to, I guess, grow a pair and show up and, and support the team. Yeah, I appreciate the call, man. Thanks a lot. Got a, uh, little, got a little personal conversation out of Alexander talking to his brother. Uh, back to Aaron Johansson for just a second. Uh, Soccer Never Sleeps, that's a, an interesting uh, name, which your Jersey Jonathan says, uh, if he produces that vertebra and he basically forces Klinsman's hand, he'd have, to, he'd have no choice but to start him. Probably true. I mean, if, if he can score goals at Werder Bremen, it's pretty clear that Aaron Johansson is one of the best striker options the United States has. I mean, he may be right now anyway. Uh, he may be deserving of a starting position now anyway. The issue has been for Klinsman is to try to figure out how to make his team work without that target striker. And again, it's not that Josie Outdoor was elite at, at, at that particular skill set, but he was good enough to make it work, especially against uh, a lot of the teams that, that the United States plays in CONCACAF. And now that that has gone by the wayside or Josie isn't performing well enough or his off-the-ball movement isn't good enough for Klinsman's liking because if there's anything we know, it's that Klinsman likes players that run. Then it may be jo- uh, Aaron Johansson's time to step into the fray again and, uh, and make the most of his opportunity. To, uh, let's see, 646-832-3909 is your phone number. Keep that coming. A couple of thoughts on Jack McInerney uh, coming at us as well. Uh, this is a player, again, this is a player that has scored a bunch of goals in MLS already. And he's twenty, just about to turn 23 years old. Um, he seems to be a player that doesn't ever quite fit exactly in with the team he's, being, uh, he's been acquired by. Whether it's Philadelphia, who started him for a while, and then he gets kind of pushed to the side. And then they trade him to Montreal for uh, Andrew, Wang- Andrew Wenger. And... He never really clicks. I mean, he scored some great goals in Montreal. He got quite a few starts, but he never seemed to be to establish himself as the week in and week out starter. I mean, he's, and he's played with some great players there. Now he moves to Columbus. He's not going to start for Columbus. I don't. Th- I mean, he's not. You, you got Kai Kamara in that team. You got the. You got those those wing forward options like Ethan Fenley and and uh, Justin Merrim. Why? Where is? Is uh, Jack McInerney going to fit exactly? I mean, he may be a player off the bench. He may get a spot start, but he's essentially, I mean, I hate to say it this way, but is is Jack McInerney essentially Chad Barrett in MLS at this point? I mean, a better strike rate, I guess, but think about think about the role that Chad Barrett has in Seattle. He's filling in for injured and absent players. Uh, he scores the occasional goal, scores you know, his share of goals. He makes less money than Jack Mack, I'm pretty sure, at this point. But that's, that's essentially where Jack McInerney is now in his career. He's the player who isn't going to be the one you count on to score the goals. Very interesting stuff. Speaking of interesting stuff, and I touched on this in the news this morning, Brad Evans and his comments about the MLS CBA. I'm going to get back to that in a second. Let's go to Tyler in Virginia. Hey, Tyler, what's up? Uh, not too much, man. I uh, just wanted to call and kind of touch on um, what you were talking about earlier uh, about Larry Johansson moving to the Word of Bremen and, you know, what that could could mean for Josie uh, going forward. Go ahead, man. So, um, Go ahead. Yeah, but, I mean, I don't know. I, I wasn't, I don't know, maybe it's just me. I wasn't really that impressed by uh, Aaron's performance in the Gold Cup. I mean, you can say that about a lot of the players. Um, All of them? But, Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> but, um... So, you know, if he does go to a water brand, you know, water brand, and he starts and he performs well, um, I guess, you know, based off merit alone, yeah, you can make the argument that he deserves an opportunity. But, I mean, in terms of how, you know, he fits in with the, with the full national team, I still feel like uh, Josie is a better fit. Um, I mean, like you said earlier about, like, you know, kind of making yeah, but, it all work. But, Tyler, I want this team to be a fit for Aaron Johansson. Do you know what I mean? Like, I want the I want Klinsman to figure this out. I mean, uh, do something here. You gotta go. You gotta call up birdie votes to figure out how to play without Josie Outdoor. Then do that. We need this team to be able to to switch in a player like Aaron Johansson, especially if he's on better form, especially if he's scoring goals in a better league. Not just because he might make the team better, because it's good to have that option. They need to be able to be versatile that way, and they're not. And you know, I, 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 I sort of bemoan the fact that we don't have a consistent system, but that also kind of goes back to the problem that Klinsman may have relied on Josie a little too too long. 
Yeah, I mean, um, but he's really the only one that has gotten the job done. I mean, unfortunately, uh, it seems like Josie, uh, in terms of uh, his form, he will uh, have, you know, a stretch where he's kind of on fire. But then, uh, you know, as we're seeing right now, you know, whether it's due to injuries uh, or, you know, just not finding the back of the net, uh, you know, his, his form dips, confidence suffers. Uh, and he isn't really uh, able to contribute to the national team either. But that being said, I think when when he's on, uh, he's the, really the best option that they have. Um, and looking back at, at Aaron Johansson's national team uh, career, I don't I don't know, man. Like he really hasn't, you know, scored the goals yet. You know, he hasn't really produced in in the big moments. I mean, maybe he hasn't gotten an opportunity. But I would yeah. say that he's gotten enough chances. Uh, look at the goals that he scored. He scored the last goal against Panama in stoppage time um, to Mexico to the World Cup um, when he scored against Cuba. Uh, you know, he like so he hasn't really done it against uh, a lot of the a lot of the bigger bigger name uh, countries that we played, whether it be in friendlies or even the Gold Cup for uh, that yeah. matter. Yeah, four four goals in seventeen appearances for Aaron Johansson for the United States of America. I don't. Uh, let me see if I can pull up. Uh, you mentioned the Panama goal. You mentioned scoring against Cuba. Uh, we've got uh, Panama. That's that, okay. So that uh, Azerbaijan in a friendly and Denmark in a friendly. So there you go. That's the list. Yeah, no, uh, you know, and as you said, I mean, that's the thing, Josie. I, I, I there are people in my timeline every day killing Josie, killing him, taking him apart. He's a grass killer. He's lazy. He's a disaster. He shouldn't be in this team. Get him out. Get him out. And I just, I don't know, I don't know that he doesn't deserve some criticism right now. Certainly he does based on his performance, based on what happened against New England this weekend, based on the fact he didn't bring it in the Gold Cup. But the man has scored 27 goals for the U.S. He scored some really big goals for this team. Some of, sometimes he does disappear, and he's very streaky, Tyler. And Maybe it's just hard for people to accept that this is what Josie is. And he's not a yeah, he's yeah. not a bad player. He's just not a great player, right? And 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 when when I think the frustrating thing for some fans is is that like I said, when he's on form, I mean, do you remember that run when he scored what like six goals in six consecutive matches for yeah, the U.S.? Yeah. Um, so people see that, uh, and then you have like you know this this the highest high, and then you come back to some of his like lows, and and it's really frustrating for people. I mean, in my opinion, I think he's probably one like the biggest lightning rod. Uh, in terms of, you know, for criticism and things like that on the national team, uh, as far as players are concerned. Yeah, you know, that, that run of six, I, I remember that run of six uh, games with a goal because it started, he had a long streak without a goal. He had been, hadn't, hadn't scored yeah. for, for whoever he was. I, I guess he wasn't with Sunderland yet. Or, yeah, he wasn't with Sunderland yet. But that, happened, that started in 2000, June of 2013 against Germany, and I was at that game. Uh, so he scored yeah. against Germany, Jamaica, Panama, Honduras, Bosnia, uh, across, uh, I guess that's six. I don't know, and Jamaica in a uh, World Cup qualifier. I mean, and that's the thing. He's got, you, you look at his record. He scored three goals in World Cup qualifying in 2000, for 2010. He scored, he scored the goal against Spain in 2009, the Confederations Cup semifinals. He scored, uh, he scored a four, sorry, he scored four goals in World Cup qualifying for 2010. He scored a couple goals in the Gold Cup in 2011. He scored, Three goals, four goals in World Cup qualifying for 2014. I mean, he's shown up at that stage when the United States has needed him. Now, maybe that's the, because he was the best of a, a bat a, a lot. But again, let's yeah. not let's not throw him on the dust on the dustbin in the dustbin yet. What am I English? Let's not throw him on the, <laughs> on the pile yet. Uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see, Tyler. I, I wish. I wish. I hope to, uh, Josie gets it back. I really do. I hope he finds that flow again. He's 25 yeah. years old. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's got time. I think, I mean, for me, I, ideally, I'd like to see him, you know, come back into form. But then I think there's merit in what you were saying earlier about it being important for the team to learn how to play without him. But that also requires guys like Johansson to step up when they're given yeah. that opportunity. Yeah, and you know what? It's unfortunate Terrence Boyd isn't ready to go. And, and, and that's the thing. Like, I'm starting to think that... I'm starting to think that the, win, the window on Terrence Boyd is, is closing. And even if he comes back... Oh, man. You hope not? Uh, I mean, like, I mean, because he, I think he, in terms of, in terms of his, uh, his game, he, he probably offers the U.S. Uh, the closest thing to, you know, what Josie gives the team. He's a strong player, uh, he's very intelligent. Um, but I mean, I'd love to see him get another opportunity. Um, yeah. I mean, sadly, injuries have kind of 
robbed him of uh, the past few months. But I mean, I think that he would kill it with the national team. I think they. I mean, they've robbed him of a year. I mean, the guy's twenty four already, and it's kind of like uh, not, again, that's not old. And Josie's twenty five, so I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm not sending him away forever. But Boyd's got to start getting yeah. it. You know, he's got to start getting it going. I mean, Johansson yeah. is yeah. now at twenty four. Boyd needs to do that at twenty four as well. Uh, Tyler, appreciate the call, man. Good stuff. How's it going? There goes uh, Tyler in Virginia. Let's uh, let me just uh, quickly here. Um, I'll touch on some of this stuff from Brad Evans before we get out of here on a, on a Tuesday edition of the show. Thanks for the calls, guys. Uh, Brad Evans, I mentioned this at the top of the show. Some talk about the CBA asked by Matt Pence um, of the Seattle Times, and maybe we can grab Matt to have a chat in the near future about the, about some of these revelations. Um, he was the players' union representative for Seattle during the CBA. This is a lot of after the fact, you know, hindsight, we got screwed, we didn't do enough, et cetera, et cetera. Um, he says, we all want to make more money. We all think we deserve to be on par with players around us, but we also need to really realize we're in this league by choice. If we wanted to leave, I guess I could leave and take my chance overseas. Like I said, we're kind of handcuffed here, and they know that. They will, there will be a time when, they, when we need to take a stand and say no I deserve to be paid X amount, and this is why. List the reasons. A, B, and C. Compare yourself to other players in the league. Are we getting there? I think we're closer. Personally, I'm very happy to be here, and I feel that my salary is at par with the players of my level. But also, when I go to the national team, I'm the lowest player, paid player there. It is what it is. I don't get upset about it. Except he kind of sounds like he's upset about it. Uh, you know, a lot of, again, a lot of this sounds like Brad Evans is of the opinion that they didn't do enough. And Brad Evans is of the opinion that they didn't utilize fan support as much as they should. And really, uh, in, it, it's hard not to see that the... It's hard not to, to think that the players crumbled when they didn't need to or when they shouldn't have. All right. Let's, uh, let's continue that discussion over at Sirius XMFC. If you have that, we'll certainly uh, continue to delve into that issue more and more as we move forward. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks to Ross Dunbar. Fantastic chat about the Bundesliga today. Oh, very much looking forward to the start of the Bundesliga season. Uh, go to backhill.com slash store. Get yourself a mug and a t-shirt and a Hlaka Morning t-shirt. And uh, yeah, that's uh, it's good stuff. Uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Later. Did my invitations disappear? What I put my heart on every curve?